Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. God's word. So, as you guys make it back, I'll give you a second. People are still saying hello. Yeah, if you guys can remain standing, just in honor of God's word as we read that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're not going to read all of it. Um, we're going to skip a little bit, but we're going to start in verse 12. This is what it says. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that they was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. We're going to skip to verse 22 now. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said, Thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people of Israel. Therefore, the, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that the house and the house of your father, that your house and the house of your father shall go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be from it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Be, behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. 
The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do everything who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, that I may eat a morsel of bread. You may be seated. That was a lot to say, and God is not happy with their sin. Let me pray for us. God, when we read this, I think we automatically think that is not us. And yet, Lord, many times we are no better than these men who are supposed to be your priest serving your people. And God, we pray and ask for your mercy and grace so that the results of what we see for them and their family is not our, our end result, that our end result is to be covered by the blood of Christ. God, just now, I ask that you'll speak through me, um, that you will let this word from you land on the hearts and ears of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, I have not preached since like the middle of June, and I knew this text was coming up. It's like I started looking ahead to see what I was going to preach, and when I looked at the date and I looked at this, I realized, oh, cool, like I'm preaching about two brothers on August 8th. And August 8th today is, I have twins, most of you know, and today's their birthday. So uh, yeah, so Abram and Colton are watching, so if you guys don't mind, just shout out happy birthday to Abram and Colton. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. Um, so like, I started reading this. I was like, man, I don't, if my boys turned out like this, I would be so disappointed. Like, and I started wrestling with that, and then, I, and then like, my brain went to, like, this is probably why so many pastors today are removed from even being pastors, because like, this kind of behavior, stealing from the Lord and sexual immorality and bullying people, this is not uncommon in many pastors today. And you see it, like, every about six months of some pastors being removed from their um, position and disqualified from ministry because this is their behavior and the way that they conduct themselves. And then I just started thinking, like, well, that's not good, like, biblical manhood. But then I, as, I, as I was writing the sermon, I was like, this is just a good Christianity. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Like, if you act like this, male or female, pastor or not, you're a jerk and you're in sin. Like, that's just like, where I landed with it as I was reading through this and started writing it, and I looked at these brothers, and I thought, man, they're, just, they're, they're really toxic. Like, they were toxic to the nation of Israel. But what it really does, if you've been with us, is it just points to the, the culture that they were in. We've been doing this, this series all year, lest we turn. We took the break in, in the summer and did First Thessalonians, but before that, we walked, you know, through Joshua and, and Judges, and we just saw, like, this the culture of Israel just deteriorating and spiraling out of control. And now this is really showing like even their priest couldn't follow God's ways. That's how bad it had gotten. And I look at our own culture and I think, well, this is really where we're heading. This is how it looks. Like we have pastors who behave this way, culture who behave, behaves this way. There's so many just toxic things. And then I went back in my mind thinking, man, I hope as I raise these two boys, that Emily and I don't end up with sons who would act this way. And you, and you think, well, you know, then just 
raise them right. Well, yeah, you do, but they obviously have some choices to make of their own. And so as we look at this today, I want us to really examine the sins that these guys were doing. But the first thing that we got to see before we even get into the sins is that the very first verse says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They were worthless men that did not know the Lord, but yet they were priests. They were serving in the temple of God, and yet they were worthless men who did not know the Lord. Now, this is God's perfect word. Like, it's infallible. So this is what he thought of them. They were worthless. That is a pretty big statement to make of these two men that they were worthless. God saw no worth in them. That's what it meant. Like, that would... None of you would want me to come up to you later and be like, you know what, I really think you're, like, you're worthless. Like, there's nothing good about you. Like, you'd be like, whoa, dude, like, really? Like, that's, that's pretty harsh. But it, that's how God saw them. And when we strive to be men or women that the, that the world accepts, I want you to know that God sees no worth in that. None. He does not see worth in you trying to be anything that the world approves of. And here's the crazy thing. When you try to chase what the world approves of, you're going to like probably go crazy because culture has shifted so much that you cannot even figure out what the world approves of. One day it's cool to even act like this, and then on, for someone else to do it, it might not be. They're like, oh, no, you're canceled. Like, you can't act that way. But then someone else can act that way, and it's okay. So when you're trying to chase what the world approves of, you're lost, and God sees zero worth in any of it. So as we dig into these sins, I want first just to hit on why these guys were even priests then. Well, it's because they're from the tribe of Levi. Like, the tribe of Levi were the priests. That was their assigned position in the, the, in the whole nation of Israel. These people, the men from this tribe, would be the priests who would preside over all the stuff that God would have them to do and this is a big deal because when you hear the end there, he's like, I'm going to cut you off. Your house is no longer, I'm going to raise up a different priest. Their livelihood was gone now. Like the whole house of, Le- of, of Eli, they had no more job to be had. Like they can't go back to being a priest. Like they were going to beg for it just so they could get a morsel of bread. But he's saying, hey, you don't have a job. You don't have anything to do now because you're done. I'm cutting you off. And so I want you to see the significance of the situation of how God saw them to be worthless. First sin, though, that made them worthless is this. They stole from God. They stole from God. These guys were literally stealing God's sacrifices, like the sacrifices made to God. They were taking it from the people, and they were entitled to some. They really were. They were entitled to some. Like, I wanted to research and make sure I knew exactly what they were entitled to. And in Leviticus 7, 31 and 32, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Leviticus 7, 31 and 32. It says, The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron. So that's where Aaron was the first, like, priest for them and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. So they knew better. These two guys... Um, they knew, these brothers, they knew that this was not for them just to go and shove that fork into the pot or cauldron and take what they wanted and to take it before it was boiled. That was not what they were supposed to do. That was not the process. It was against the Levitical law that God had laid out. And so they were stealing from God. And you may be thinking, well, I don't deal with sacrifices. We're not bringing meat in here. You and Corey aren't, Jeff, you guys aren't up there boiling meat for us. 
You're right, we're not. That'd be weird. Like, I, I don't want to boil meat for you. Jesus already took care of all the sacrifices that need to happen. But when you don't tithe, when you're not generous, when you're not sacrificial in your giving, you're stealing from God. You're stealing from God. You're taking what, is, what you think is yours and saying, no, I'm going to keep it for myself because I need more and I'm going to do what I want. It's the same thing. It's like, you're, it's like you've got this pot of money, and you're just shoving your hand in, taking all that you want. Well, that's what's left, God. That's what you're going to get. That's not how it works. Like, it's clear in Scripture that we tithe. We give a tenth of what we have. And there's some who'd argue even that that's not even, it could be more than a tenth. Like, that's just, so we don't even need to get into all of that. But if you're not tithing, I'm just going to let you know you're stealing from God. You're, you're maybe treading, I'm not going to make a prophetic statement here, but maybe you're treading into being seen as worthless because you've stole from God for so long. That's something to sit in and to understand. And, and I think it's so important, too, for us as, as Christian parents, especially I'm husbands, as you lead your families, like, you need to be leading your family to do this. You need to be leading your family to tithe, to be sacrificial, to be giving with what you have. Because here's the reality of it. I don't know that I would have started tithing when I did if my dad would not have taught me as a kid that that's what you're supposed to do. Okay, so like, this is an important thing that I was taught as a young kid. Like, you tithe, that's what you do. And if you don't, like, you don't expect God to continue to bless you. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel at all. But I think it's, it's a serious thing that when we think, well, I can just take what I want. But it goes beyond your 10% that you should be tithing. What about if you have a truck and you know the church needs to haul something? Well, that's my truck. I don't want it to get scratched. I don't want that in the bed. You know, that can mess up the bed of the truck. Or I don't want, I just whatever. Or I don't want people at my house. I wouldn't ever host the missional community because I don't want all those kids running around my house. Maybe you don't. But guess what? That truck and that house, it ain't yours. It's the Lord's. And so when you're stingy, when you're greedy with what you have, and you think, well, this is mine, it's not yours. God blessed you with it, and glad that he did, but if he wants to take it away, it's gone. Like that. It's out of there. And so when we are not generous with what we have, we're stealing from the Lord. It's this idea of it's my money, it's my things, it's my stuff, it's my time. I'm going to do what I want with all of my possessions and that's not where we need to be. And I want you to see, we, we read in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, like this idea of giving up what we think is ours. Jesus sets a perfect example for us. We read it already, but I'm going to read it again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, Jesus, who was equal with God, the Father, had all the reason to do whatever really he wanted to do. He takes what he sees as equal and says, nope, I'm going to empty myself of this. He could have stole glory in a sense from God, but he emptied himself. So I'm going to tell you now, you're not on the same level as Jesus. And so when you try to look at all your belongings, all your possessions, all your things, and think, I'm going to do what I want with them, you're saying, like, no, God, I'm above you, and I'm going to do what I want with my stuff. 
But here's the thing. To steal, they had to be bullies. And that's the next point, the next sin, is they abused God's people. Let's check out verses 15 and 16. It says, Moreover, the fat was burned. The priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. These guys were straight-up bullies. They were just bullies, picking on people, using their authority, their positions to do what they wanted to do. That, they're complete punks. Like, they're just, they're complete punks. It frustrates me. I do not like bullies. And I learned my lesson of why I don't like bullies, because I was trying to be a bully when I was in third or fourth grade. I don't remember the exact thing. But I was going to Kreitner grade school. Um, There was a kid, I won't say his name since we're... Facebook Live, but his initials were D and D. And as a little kid, I thought it was funny to call him Dee Dee. Well, he did not find it funny. And after weeks of me making fun of him and calling him Dee Dee, which I don't know why I thought this was a good idea because he was significantly bigger than me, he hauls off and punches me in the face on the playground. So like the little bully that I was, I ran to the teacher, sniffing and crying and saying that so-and-so just punched me in the face. She goes, yeah, I bet he did. You've been messing with him for weeks. You got what you deserved. <laughs> and I did. I missed the 90s. You can't do that now, okay? Like, you punch a kid in the face, and then it's on the news because, yeah, and you're expelled from school. I'm not, and just parents, I'm not, like, justifying physical abuse, but, you know, you sometimes get what you get, right? We shouldn't bully people. Like, you do get what you get. Like, sometimes an eye for an eye isn't that far off anymore. But, like, my point is this, is to the men in this room, if you use your position as a father, as a husband, to bully your family around, you're not reflecting Jesus to your family at all. Zero. Like, that is not what you're supposed to do. And pastors, like, they're guilty of it. They use their authority as a pastor to, to bully people, to get what they want, to say what they, and, and to push agendas that they see as, as, God's way, when maybe they know that it's not, but they're going to use their position to do it. But we can all be guilty of it. Women, you can be bullies just the same. Like, don't, I'm not excluding you. There is nothing godly about bullying people and, and doing what you want and taking things, in a sense, by force. And force does not always have to be a physical force. It can be by deception and lies and just being mean to someone to the point that you know, like, if I'm mean enough to them, if I treat them a certain way, they're going to cave and give me what I want because they just don't want to be treated this way. That's bullying people. It's not ethically right, and it's wrong. But our culture sometimes, it's okay. Like, if you can be cunning enough, if you can be sharp enough to, to get what you want to, you know, maneuver and to position yourself in a way that you can gain an advantage People are like, oh, that's all right. It's just, he's just really cunning. He's just smart. He's just this. And it's wrong. We have to set a different standard for ourselves and how we live and see that the way these guys were operating, that when you don't get what you want, you just kind of push in and throw a fit until you do. It's sinful. It's sinful. And it's a sad place that it happens in Christian circles and within churches. And we do not reflect Jesus at all when we do this. We do not reflect Jesus. See, Jesus, he didn't bully people. He's gentle and kind. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30, this is what he says of himself. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we have these thieving, bullying priests, in Jesus, we have a generous, kind, and gentle priest so far. I just want you to keep looking at how Jesus is doing everything else better. He's doing it all better. He's, he's not going to push and bully. He's there to bring you in, to comfort you. But these men, they didn't just stop with stealing. They also bullied people into sexual perversion. They were sexually immoral men. So that's the next sin we'll see is that the sinfulness of these men, it was pretty drastic. It wasn't like they were just kind of bad. It was pretty drastic. It says there when Eli addresses them in verse 22 that how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they're exploiting women who served in the temple. They use their position, again, this authoritative position to bully women into sexual favors for them. Like This is messed up. This is a really messed up culture, but no one was saying anything to him. Eli had even ignored it for some time until he's finally addressing, because he, he was very old and he had finally heard. He had, well, it says he kept hearing, so he had heard once and he ignored it, which we're going to get to. Sadly enough, we do hear pastors all the time who use their position to get sexual favors and, and be adulterous and manipulative in what they do. I, I could go so many directions with this, and I know that there's probably some of you sitting in this room thinking, well, that's not, that's not me. I would never do that. Well, I can talk to you one-on-one. I could probably show you where you've used positions to, to get what you want. But the sad thing is that our culture in times will either be, again, accepting of this or not accepting of it. Right now, you could go on TV and you could read about the New York governor and like him using his position for sexual favors is very frowned upon. But I also can Google Magic Johnson and Wilt Chamberlain and I can read about how they slept with hundreds and Wilt Chamberlain, thousands upon thousands of women, and they're celebrated. See, our culture has split personalities. Sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's not. It just depends on who you are and how you did it. It's still sin. But we, you, we, when we view this, we can't be like the rest of the world. We can't be like, oh, wow, Wilt Chamberlain, he slept with over 10,000 different women. Wow, that's amazing. No, it's not. It's sinful. It's wrong. And he used, though he, maybe it was all consensual, he still used the position of power and authority and of money to get what he wanted. Like, it's sinful. And, and we, though none of us are rolling around here with Wilt Chamberlain-level money, we can still use your position in life to gain things of that sorts, and we can't. And then the problem, and again, going back, I'm thinking about raising my own two sons. Here's some things that we have to pay attention to is boys will be boys is a lie from the pit of hell. Hey, boys won't be boys. Like, no, I want my boys to become godly men. I don't, I don't want them to have to go, you know, sow their wild oats. Like, no, like, just wait. Like, do what you're supposed to do. Do what God has called you to do and honor him. There's no category that this world could put us in of, like, boys would be boys or anything else trying to justify our actions that God's going to see as okay. He's not going to be okay with it. He wasn't okay with it with these guys here. He was not. Jesus' own words concerning this. This is what he says in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is telling us, like, 
This is serious stuff. He's not okay with sexual sin. He's not okay with us just parading around doing whatever we want to do like it's just going to be okay and you were just boys being boys. It's not all right with him. Sex, obviously, is a beautiful thing within the confines of marriage, and that's where it belongs. And so Jesus is warning us there what it really is, and we see with these men that they were not wanting to do that. But it keeps going. Their sin isn't done. Like you would think, oh, wow, they've done a lot. They're thieving. They're bullies. They're sexually immoral. They're just, they're really messed up. They are. Next, they dishonored their father. So I don't need to keep going into their sins, but their reputation at this point has gotten to Eli, and he couldn't ignore it anymore. It says that he was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. So they're tormenting Israel. They're just tearing apart their culture, dishonoring God and all they're doing. And finally, he comes to them, and he's like, hey, what you guys are doing is wrong. I mean, when your sin has reached such notoriety that your dad has to come to you and say that you've done something wrong, you know that you've messed up. Like, you know that you've really messed up. I've never liked it when I get that call. And I have still, I'm going to be 38 in like a month, and I still at times will get a call from my dad like, hey, you're being dumb. Like, don't do that. Like, just stop. Don't post that on Facebook. Like, don't do that. If your if your sin has became to that point where anyone in your missional community or or a parent or a friend comes to you or a pastor comes to you and says, "You're really living messed up right now. Like this isn't okay. Like that should get your attention right away." God's probably using that person to come to you and try to turn you back to Him and say, "Turn away from the sin, repent from that sin, and come back this way." And they dishonored their father. They had nothing to do with them. They're like, no, we're going to keep going. Obviously, they did because they just ignored him. They ignored him and went on doing their own thing. It didn't matter to them. They didn't want to hear about it because they were enjoying the sinful lifestyle that they were living in. I wonder, like, why he waited so long, though. Like, why would he wait so long? And we're going to talk about that in a minute with his sin, but did they think they were getting away with it? Because they're not. See, sometimes your sin does bring immediate repercussions. Like, you go out today and you, and you sin in certain ways. Like, there's going to be immediate repercussion for you. Some sin, though, has delayed response. Not that God is delayed, but he is, he's got a plan and he will deal with it in his own timing and that's what we see here is these men were going to face that coming up. I mean, like, they're going to die on the same day. Their whole family is getting cut off from being priest. It's pretty serious. And so for us, what I want you to know is, like, for any of you who um, are in here that are kids, like, you do need to honor your family, your parents. You need to listen to them. You need to, when, they, when your parents are telling you something, you don't just be like, oh, yeah, sure. You, you honor them. And there's so many ways, and you think, well, I'm not a kid anymore. Well, guess what? None of you got here without a parent. Like, you're, all of you have parents, maybe not alive anymore. And, but, and, and here's the thing. I think that so often that what I've heard as a pastor is people be like, yeah, but my mom's this. Or, yeah, but my dad is this. This does not take out the fact that you still honor them. It doesn't change how you treat them. It doesn't change how you speak of them, how you speak to them, and what you can think about them. Like, you can st- you may, they may not give you godly advice, but they may not be able to treat you fairly, but you can still honor them, which is honoring God. Yeah. And it's the only commandment that comes with the promise. Like, honor your parents, 
live a long life. So, I don't know, if you want to die soon, do, do your thing. But I don't want to die, so I'm going to honor my parents. So we all can do this. Like, there, obviously, you don't honor your parents in a way to like, oh, they, they told me to go steal this. So I'm going to go steal it. I need to honor them. That's not what I'm saying. But you obviously can honor your parents in different ways. This is how Jesus honored his own father. He's walking up to his cousin, John, and he says that, and this is in Matthew three fourteen through 17, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it, be, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open and to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." Jesus sets the example as the perfect son to honor his father in doing what he was called to do. He knew that he was supposed to be baptized. It was in accordance with scripture. And so for us, we have to continue to look to Jesus to be the better son, to be the better daughter, to be the better anything. He's doing it for us. And you might be thinking right now, well, that's cool. I'm glad that Jesus did that. I need, I need that. I understand I'm sinful, and, and, but I'm not really guilty of these sins. I don't steal. I don't bully. I don't exploit anyone sexually, and, I'm, and I don't really dishonor my parents. Well, I would disagree with you. I'll, I could, we could have some one-on-one conversations about it, but this last one I think that we probably all are guilty of, and this is it, and this shifts away from the brothers to Eli. Eli chose his kids over God. Eli chose his kids over God. Verse 29 says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of the offering of my people of Israel. So he's telling Eli, like, you've benefited from their sins. You've benefited from their sins. You've been taking that and you've been eating it. You knew that you weren't supposed to have that portion of meat, but you didn't mind eating it and shoveling it into your mouth. He was choosing his sons over God. God calls them out. And so when you don't correct your kids because you don't want to upset them, you're choosing to honor your kids over God. When you choose to take your kids to, to all their sports and, and you're not a missional community, you, you don't come to church, you, you, you're, you don't have any money left because you've spent all your money on kids' sports and now you can't tithe, so you, now you're stealing from God and you're choosing to honor your kids over God. When you don't spend time discipling your kid because they're going to complain about it because they'd rather be on their iPad, you're honoring your kid over honoring God. When you don't make your kid come to church because they're older now, and, but they still live in your house, and they don't like coming. And they're a teenager. I'm not going to make them come. You're honoring your kid over God. Like that's, they need to be there. They need, like, that's not, like, for me, when my kids are watching, live in my house, you go to church. You don't like it, you pack your bags, right? Like, that's the way it works. And Abram and Colton got a while before they can pack their bags. So basically, when you stop pointing your kid to Jesus because you want to be their friend and make them happy, guess what? You're honoring your kid over God. That's what you've chosen to do. You're saying, I'd rather be their friend. I'd rather them be happy with me. I'd rather them like me. And you're saying, I don't, I, that, that's more important to me than honoring God. Now, some of you are like, man, I done raised my kids. Guess what, grandparents? You probably are worse about it than us. 
You probably are. You're probably worse about it because you're like, I'm going to spoil them. I'm going to do whatever I want. I got to send them home in a few hours. I don't even have to deal with them being all hopped up on sugar and haven't slept. Like, it's cool. You're right. You can do all the things. And that's probably a blast to be a grandparent and do all those things and spoil your grandkids, but keep pointing them to Jesus. Like, keep pointing. You don't get out of pointing your grandkids to Jesus because they're not your, like, kid kids. you still do that. You still, like, there's some godly grandparents in this room and, and in our church who definitely are pointing their own grandkids to Jesus and some of our, own, some of our kids to Jesus because they're good, godly people, and that's what we're called to do. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 says this, it is for the discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an eligible, cannot talk, child, and not sons. Besides this, you have earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be, be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our own, for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peace of fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, God is a perfect father. So he sees the, 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 the need for discipline. He sees the need to point us to how we're sinning against him or others, and he disciplines us. And so when we want to reflect Jesus, when we want to reflect God in our sanctification, we discipline our, ch- our children. We do that instead of honoring him. See, Jesus in all these ways is better. He's a better priest. He's a better son. He's not a thief. He's not a bully. He's not sexually immoral. He honors his father, and he disciplines us. His righteousness covers all of our sins. We're made right with God because Jesus did all this correctly and then went to the cross and bared all that we did incorrectly so that we could be made right. That's, that's the beauty of this whole story, is that as jacked up as this is, this whole culture is, and what really is still that way now, right? In the 21st century, thousands of years later, it's still this way. It's still this way, yet Jesus went to the cross so that we didn't have to be stuck in this. He made us Right, and so I'm going to ask that you stand with me because we're going to celebrate that truth that Jesus is better and that he's taken all this sin for us so that we don't have to stay in it. And we're going to take communion. So if you got, grabbed a communion cup on your way in, that's awesome. If not, they're up here on the tables to my side by the windows. And we're, just, we're going to take communion and we're going to respond to the gospel. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's respond to the gospel. Let's repent of our sins. Let's take communion and let's sing and glorify him.